Hey everybody, Florida Basketball Hour is back. I am Neil Blackman, your host on today's show. Eric Fawson and I are going to break down Florida's Charleston Classic opening round win over St. Joseph's, their semifinal win over Miami. We're going to talk about what's improved, um, what the Gators can still do better. Uh, they're obviously still a work in progress. The challenge that awaits them in the final against Xavier. Uh, so we hope you enjoy it. Remember to go to Apple Podcasts um, and iTunes and, and leave a review of the show, a couple reviews. Um that are up zach warden uh best best podcast i've heard out there concerning college hoops i love the way they break down analytics as well as providing inside the program information uh keep up the good work um joe gator says great show with realistic expectations viewpoints information about florida basketball recruiting as well keep up the great job guys i look forward to all your episodes just, uh, we, we really appreciate all the reviews, even the three-star ones from people like Nutcase Man, who was mad about our audio this summer. Um, so go ahead, leave us uh, a review. Thank you so much for listening. We're going to have a quick word from our sponsor, and um, then uh, on to the games. Welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I am Neil Blackman, Saturday Down South. I'm with Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com. Some pep in our voices probably tonight, Eric. The Gators uh, have won two games in Charleston. They looked a lot more like the team on paper, or that we thought we were getting on paper uh, today in their big win over Miami. We're going to start with the St. Joseph's win yesterday, which was kind of a weird game because the Gators played really, really well for like, 22 and a half minutes, and then Kerry Blackshear got thrown out. And honestly, after that, it was kind of like, hold on for dear life. Yeah, it really seemed like they, uh, that was kind of it, that they kind of just like held on in the second half. It wasn't like, uh, they certainly didn't thrive or, or, or look particularly uh, impressive at the set in the second half. Uh, I thought that there was times, uh, you know, obviously where Trey Mann was, was really missed, where uh, when you didn't have, uh, when you didn't have Blackshear on the floor, uh, when uh, when Nemhart was off with some foul trouble, uh, yeah, they were kind of lacking some of that offensive creation. So, uh, and then also on the other end, defensively, I mean, they had some trouble keeping uh, keeping these St. Joseph's players out of the paint, especially Ryan Daly, who was awesome. And uh, but ultimately, they they held on and, and executed, got the rebounds they needed in, in kind of the last couple of minutes, hit the free throws they needed, and uh, yeah, they they did survive. So like, you can be from Philadelphia and be any number of basketball players that are incredible in the history of the sport um, from, from Dr. J to, to Ray Allen to like, you know, the, who was the scrappy guard that helped Villanova win the national title uh, a couple years ago, whose name just totally, I just totally no, blanked. Ryan Archer Diakono. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well done. Should have been uh, a Gator. Ryan Archie Diakono. Oh, really should have been a, really should have been a Gator and stayed home. <laughs> to uh, to help Villanova win a national championship, um, Ryan Daly is like so Philly though, like just tough. I if there's five shreds of athleticism in his body, like it's kind of surprising to me. Yeah, well, I mean, like, but I mean, he just finds ways. Go ahead. 
Oh, well, I mean, he's just the, he, he's like uh, he's the slowest player on the court, but he's the quickest in transition. You know what I mean? Like we saw that against Florida, where uh, he's still the he's, he's still just burning players in transition every single time. Uh, when when it seems like he just like plays the game in second and third gear, he it never reaches the top ones, but he doesn't need to. And uh, there's a few times in the post where I mean, he just uh, bumped Andrew Nemhard off and, and got easy buckets and. Uh, yeah, I just was so impressed. I, I just was so impressed. And I think before the podcast, obviously, I, I kind of said he was going to be a problem. And there's a point where Florida was winning comfortably, where I was kind of really enjoying the Ryan Daly basketball when it was like, oh, sweet, you can watch Ryan Daly and it's fun. And uh, Florida can still win. And then there was a point where I was just terrified that Ryan Daly was going all heroic. So, I mean, I was saying that um, I feel like you know, Ryan Daly was like, he's like Khalid el but like even less athletic, speaking of, of Philadelphia point guards, Eric. And, but, but still, like, does everything. Like, there was a point late in the game where I don't know if it was four or six at that point. I think it might have been a six point game because uh, it felt like it was mostly a six point game or a five point game. And then they would cut it to three and, and Florida would extend it. But, uh, you know they they got daily posted up on Andrew Nimhard, and and he just did this like little head fake, and Nimhard bit on it so hard, and it was just easy buckets. And I was like, man, I don't know. There's not much that this uh, this daily kid couldn't do. He was fun to watch. Well, talking about just how they used him in so many different ways, they uh, they would use him as a pick and roll ball handler, and then the next possession they would like run cross screens for him to get a post up. Uh, and uh, they would use him as a screener, and they would just do everything. And uh, yeah, I was just—I still was just so impressed with him in transition because he just is like the slowest player on the court, uh, <laughs> yet was just getting wherever he wanted in transition. And I thought that's just uh, crazy. So I mean, he's someone who uh, he uh, because he played his first uh, seasons at Delaware and then transferred and, and had to sit out because of the redshirt rule. Uh, he'll be eligible to be a graduate transfer this uh, this next season. So I'll be really interested in what he does. I think there'd be a lot of teams that want his services. And like, hey, if uh, you know, if Coach K decides he wants him, he could be absolutely the next like white villain kind of per- player at Duke. Not because I think he's like not likable or anything like that, but he plays tough. And I think that uh, uh, opposing fans might learn to just hate him. I mean, especially people on Twitter and the, the Gator for Gator Country forums were uh, were pretty upset at the uh, the offensive fouls that were not being called on Ryan Daly, but the ones he was drawing <laughs> on them. I mean, he's he does have a little bit of that, like, uh, you know, I, I think if he went to Duke, it would be hilarious, and he would be the next uh, kind of hated player that you also kind of love. But, uh, yeah, just an overall really impressive uh, performance by him that uh, almost won them, them the game over the Gators. It really did. I thought other than um, th- th- there were only two figures on the court, I would argue, were better than him. Um, one being the St. Joe's mascot, which uh, I think set some sort of record for for wing flapping. Um so for anyone who didn't get the chance to like, or, or I don't know, if you didn't see the St. Joe's game, the St. Joseph's mascot, it's like this, it looks like a $10 like garage sale bird outfit pretty much. And it just flaps its wings the whole game. Um, I'm pretty sure it's mechanized because you can't do that without being just totally exhausted for more than 10 to 15 minutes and this thing's never stopped slapping for two hours but uh pretty insane pretty yeah espn insane. espn had the flap counter on it got up into well into the 2000s 
Um, uh, it could be mechanized. Uh, I, I was personally floating around the theory of perhaps they, uh, perhaps there's a few few different people uh, assuming the mantle of the flapping bird, and they they switch it out mid game. I mean, uh, there could be some conspiracy behind it. Who knows? But that uh, that mascot, which was like a yeah a, a dingy looking bird costume, uh, was was quite the. Uh, yeah, it, it was quite the uh, the thing to keep an eye on at the uh, it, it, kind of in the corner by their bench during uh, uh, during the play and like by beside the timeout everything was uh, yeah it was something that in the quiet uh, Charleston gym was uh, uh, definitely a factor. <laughs> <laughs> Digi's a great word, and, and so um, speaking of players that that opposing basketball fans really started to to enjoy or hate, uh, depending on you know whether or not you're at a gym or on a message board, I guess. Um, the, the guy that the St. Joe's fans would come back with when when people, when Gators fans were praising Ryan Daly was Keontae Johnson. Uh, first double-double of the season. St. Florida does not win the game without Keontae. Yeah, they needed him, and they needed him to uh, uh, especially kind of get the ball in the paint and, and drive it. Uh, that's just something that, uh, once again, without, without Trey Mann, uh, with Andrew Nemhart had foul trouble at times, and and Quez Glover wasn't uh, hadn't really hit his stride like he did in uh, against Miami, and we'll get to that. But uh, yeah, it just seemed like they're really lacking kind of anyone to create shots, and uh, for Keontae Johnson who can just get to the rim and protect the ball and finish, uh, he had some really timely threes. Uh, yeah, this has just been one heck of a tournament that really started with that uh, that performance. Uh, against St. Joseph's that was desperately needed. And uh, I think some people, uh, I, and I mean, there's a lot of people that tune into that game to wanting to watch uh, Scotty Lewis play, uh, you know, but I think they came away watching, uh, watching Keontae Johnson maybe a little bit more. Yeah, no, I saw the, uh, and I think retweeted the, the analysis of uh, Justin Wasserman, one of the guys follow on Twitter. If you're, if you're really into, you know, NBA scouting and kind of just talked about, what he saw from Johnson, which was kind of some of the stuff that Eric and I hopefully have, have identified on, on this podcast, but you know, Keontae's a guy who could really guard almost certainly one to four. Um, and he just can attack you a lot of different ways. Jump shot looked good. The other thing is for, for a show that rags on floaters because they're bad shots, Keontae has a shot that kind of looks like a floater, but is it really? It's kind of like I get, I drive, get penetration, and take close to the rim jump shots, which you know he's not really leaning. It's not, it's not even a, you know, I don't know if it's a, I don't want to call it a leaner because a leaner sounds more like a floater. I mean, it's really because his feet are pretty set, and usually there's fundamental footwork that that sets it up. You know what I'm talking about, Eric? Right? I sound yeah. like an idiot. Yeah. No, no, I'd call it a push shot. That would be the term that I kind of would use as a push shot. Um, okay. Just the fact that he's still kind of getting, he's still jumping up and down. Like the floaters that are really bad are the ones where you are driving, you jump forward and in the act of doing that, you know, float the ball up and hope it finds the finds the net. But he, yeah, he does have a little bit more controlled where, uh, you know, he's someone who we talk about all the time, plays off two feet really well. So he'll kind right. of come to that two feet gather, uh, jump straight up and with one hand do that. Uh, push shot. I mean, David Lee was the the king of those. Master. Um, yeah, yeah. He was the push shot Jesus. Spent like with the Knicks. He just kept. He, it was incredible. He could do it, but from from like the free throw line. And uh, Keontae Johnson's on that way. But um, yeah, so there there is that shot that maybe doesn't get logged as a floater in the all floater count that I'll be uh, you know updating on. But uh, yeah, he it's one of those things that he just uh, he's really developing his ways to score. Where I think he, last season he was 
you know, an effective off player because he was efficient, but it was a catch and shoot corner three, or it was attack a close out and get right to the rim. And uh, he's kind of showing some, uh, some ways that he's starting to hit some mid range jump shots to kind of hit those, uh, uh, kind of hit those push shots where he uh, can play under control in that like kind of 12 foot range. And uh, yeah, he's really coming alive at this tournament. Yeah, no, it's good to see him do that. Cause like you said, he's already so good at attacking closeouts. So if you can figure out ways to stress defenses without just attacking closeouts to get to the basket, uh, you know, like, like Eric mentioned, just makes him a more versatile scorer, makes him a player who because of his size and girth, it's always going to stress defenses a little bit anyway. Um, you know, I think Keontae's a guy with more development could become very, very difficult to guard, um, which is why uh, it's, it's one of the reasons I like comparing him to Admiral Schofield a little bit. Last year, I'm not sure that that because he's 6'5 and Schofield was 6'7, I'm not sure how often we will see Keontae post necessarily. And, and certainly this year, maybe won't see much of it at all because – Florida has two bigs, really three bigs that they can do that with. They don't need Keontae Johnson to do that, but it's nice that he can get into the lane and hit that little jumper and has been doing it at a high rate, at least in Charleston. Um, so Florida Florida survives largely because of Keontae Johnson. We can take a minute to talk Andrew Nimhard's finishing. I guess what I would say is, uh, you know, I felt like it was one of these deals, Eric, where Andrew executed the scouting report and just had too much Spin on his layups. Yeah, I, I thought that, that like if a ball is going to spin around the entire rim like one and a half times and spill out, I uh, I don't even think we could like you know the set larger sample size would be like you know what he started last year really struggling to finish at the rim, started to get better. I, I mean I look at these shots where they kind of go around the world and, and spill out, and it's not you know it's not like he needed to be like you know I guess he needed to be like one percent better in his execution on that finishing. Uh, but still, fact that he's getting to the rim so much more uh, i think that's more important like i you know i think that those these layups that have spilled out uh in charleston i mean i think that those are going to fall later in the year because they're just so close so i'm just like more encouraged by the fact that he has uh gotten to the rim so much more than he has uh or more than he did last year um and uh it, it'll kind of be interesting to see those numbers i mean quez glover was another guy early that had a bunch of layups kind of spill out and those are starting to fall now uh, I think that it just is a little bit of early season, uh, kind of finding your way to, at game speed. Yeah, no, I uh, I certainly agree with that assessment. I wasn't as concerned about it as some of the people online. Oh, why is he attacking the basket? Well, the scouting report against St. Joseph's is to straight line drive at the basket because they are not an athletic team. Um, you can really get at them at the rim. Florida really should have rebounded offensively a little better and probably would have uh, had Kerry Blackshear not been ejected. You know, Florida was up 16 when, when he went out. And I really think you could make an argument that a second, a conservative argument that Florida wins that game by 10 points or so if Blackshear stays on the floor, uh, but he doesn't. So, I mean, one way to look at it is Florida misses all these high percentage layups Um Trey Mann doesn't play one of your best offensive weapons. Kerry Backshear plays four minutes and, you know, Florida finds a way to win and, and um, they hit their free throws late. So they survive advanced to uh, play Miami. And, you know, what did you see early that you liked against the hurricanes transitioning to that game? Uh, well, talking about transition, uh, 
that's smooth, <laughs> smooth word there. Um, I mean, just uh, the game started with three straight buckets off drag screens from Kerry Blackshear when Andrew Nemer hard at the ball. It was two pick and pops and one pick and roll, and it was all on the drag screen uh, that we talked about last podcast where uh, where Kerry Blackshear is the trailer and he just sets a quick ball screen for, for Andrew Nemhardt. And the defense usually isn't totally set up yet uh, to kind of know who's in help. And that, laid to, that, that led to, uh, yeah, one just total breakdown where Kerry Blackshear had an easy layup and then two wide open jump shots that he hit. So I thought that, uh, you know, again, it wasn't the, uh, it wasn't them particularly playing like the fastest possible way in transition or doing anything particularly interesting, but it was still like, Hey, we're going to look for this ball screen first. And they did it kind of all game. Uh, look for that early ball screen and, and get it to uh, get into some early offense that way. So they set the, uh, set the tone early and uh, you know what their, their offense, honestly, like, like this goes back to like, why when me and Neil were talking about how we were kind of encouraged about how how the team played against UConn I mean their offense like the systems they were running and the sets they were running like looked identical to what they were doing against UConn they were getting the same shots and they were they were hitting them this is kind of what we were talking about if you get open shots like they're gonna start to fall so uh they had open shots that they were generating with kind of the same offense they were using against against UConn and uh and they were getting yeah they were hitting those open looks so uh that's kind of the uh, the first kind of thought I had from that uh, that first half and how things uh, went against Miami. Yeah, I, you know, it was uh, it was interesting. Florida came out, runs good offense for a bit. Then they did get a little out of sorts. Um, they were getting hit on backdoor cuts a couple times. And Mike White takes a timeout down 14-8. And uh, I know Eric liked the timeout. Oh, huge fan of the timeout. I mean, Coach White just did not call timeouts that early last season. And it certainly wasn't like a 14-8 situation. Like, it would have to be uh, really, really bad for uh, for him to call that uh, that kind of timeout that early in the first half. So, uh, I mean, I went into this a lot last podcast. I'll say it again. I, I really think that Florida should be using their timeouts earlier. Um, if there's kind of like anything, just like this situation where Florida wasn't really clicking, like they scored those first eight points easily with Kerry Blackshear. After that, uh, things were not looking as connected. Uh, they call a timeout before things get ugly and they go on a big run. I, I mean, it's not going to be a 17-0 run every single time they call an early timeout. Uh, that's that's for sure. Uh, but I mean, like, the data that I found setting their timeouts from last year, like, really supported that Mike White should be taking more of those timeouts. Uh, not waiting for the really bad scenarios or not waiting for at the end of game where you want to have multiple timeouts. Like, if it's ever like a 14-8 game where you're losing and things aren't, you know, really flowing very nicely, like that's a great time to use a timeout in my opinion. I know that uh, can basketball like convention from like 1980 would say, uh, no, save it for when the other team goes on a major run or save all your timeouts for the end of the game. Um, yeah, the, the data just wouldn't support that. So I thought that was a, a very wise timeout from Mike White. It's something he hasn't done much in the past and it uh, worked out really well against Miami. So hopefully he, uh, he does that again. Yeah, I mean, the 17-0 run, uh, I thought a lot of it keyed by, well, I mean, it, it was really both ends. But one thing I'll say about, about Florida today was was that a lot of the first half run there was keyed defensively, and particularly uh, by the play of Scotty Lewis and the decision to hedge uh, on Chris Likes. Really got Miami's very talented jitterbug guard uh, out of sorts, you know, early in the game and help help Florida extend the lead. I, you know, I thought the decision to put Lewis on 
on likes was actually what I hoped Florida would do. Um, you know, kind of looking at Miami in person, didn't watch any film. I'm not going to lie about that, but saw them in person and said, oh, man, I think Scotty Lewis is the guy we guard there. And then, you know, you kind of get Cam McGusty by committee, who is a player that in person now I've seen twice that I really like, Eric. Uh, a really nice piece for Coach L. But if you could disrupt Chris Likes, you could disrupt, disrupt Miami a little bit. Um, as long as you don't let the uh, Vasiljevic get get loose from the three-point line. And Florida did a really good job chasing him. He made his first one, Eric. It was like a fall away, though. Trouble. And then, uh, you know, the second one, another tough contested look. He missed. And, you know, he, he made one crazy one in the second half. But Florida did a great job on him and a great job on Chris Likes really keyed the run the first half yeah i mean chris likes is like a really special talent i think he's really fun to watch and uh yeah i, I did uh, like obviously scotty lewis was really good i thought that there was a few times where he allowed dribble penetration and um i also thought okay this is the thing with scotty lewis about his defense that i i think he needs to tighten up just like a little bit is like scotty lewis is like trying to steal the ball on every single possession and i think <laughs> that gets him in trouble is just because like there was a few times where he was guarding um chris likes in space and uh, he, you know, he got caught reaching because like every, like whenever he is guarding the ball, like he's not trying to stop his man. He's trying to steal the basketball and go the other way. So um, I think he probably needs to like dial that down a bit. He also got caught doing that. Like one of, one of the issues I had where it was, this happened three times in the first half where I thought that Florida had some really poor doubles. They went to double team, but like they kind of like the person coming to double team, I, I thought just didn't do it with enough conviction. Like, just yeah. kind of, like, kind of slow, uh, put his hands up, but didn't, like, like if you double someone, you need to, like, be frantic in doubling them. Like, because if you don't, um, suddenly you've just made, like, a really easy four-on-three situation. And that was obviously, like, um, the one play that you alluded to where they got caught on that one just, like, wide-open layup. Uh, because they went to double, it was a really soft double, and the guy just pivoted, stepped through, and had an easy pass. And that was another thing where Scotty Lewis, where a couple times he went to double, and instead of just, um, you know, he when he came to double, uh, he went to grab the basketball with two hands. And when the guy swung through Scotty Lewis's arms, um, suddenly he had the ball above his head. Scotty Lewis's hands are at his knees trying to where the basketball was. And then the pass was made. So that would just be the one thing. I mean, Scotty Lewis is an awesome defender. This is like nitpicking. Um, but, I mean, <laughs> if he just decided he wasn't going to try to steal the ball in every possession, it was just going to say, I'm not going to allow you to get to the rim. Like, he would be like super successful. Uh, so yeah, but like you mentioned, um, using the, the hedge on some ball screens and saying like, Hey, let's see if we can slow down Chris likes uh, and, and try to like force one of the big men setting the screens to beat us. And, and uh, that, they obviously didn't. So that was really well defended. Uh, and I think that's, uh, you know what, like likes at some ridiculous shots at the rim. Um, Vasilovich hit that one, well, two ridiculous threes, I would say. Uh, I mean, you take those off the board and, uh, a night that looked really good for Florida uh, defensively would have looked like even better just because of the way that the percentages work. So, uh, yeah, I thought a pretty good defensive effort for sure. I thought the numbers looked good and uh, the eye test kind of matches that. So, uh, yeah, kind of encouraging on both ends from uh, from this game against Miami. Yeah, I thought their worst segment defensively came at the beginning of the second half, Eric. Um, because, you know, Miami did make a run and cut it back to five at the break, but their last seven points were a Chris like fade away that was well guarded. Um, 
a ridiculous Vasilovich three-pointer. And then uh, their big man, who, who was not particularly impressive to me, um, you know, making a, making a little hook. He made, like, two of them uh, and didn't do much else. But, uh, you know, so I thought Florida actually guarded pretty well in all those possessions and give up seven points. Um, you know, that can't do a whole lot sometimes. Sometimes you just guard as well as you can and they make shots. But in the beginning of the second half, Miami comes back, ties the game at 45. And I thought a lot of that was Florida's energy on the defensive end. And like you said, I thought Florida, again, had a couple situations where they were kind of slow on their double teams. Miami made them pay. Um, And I'm sorry, I said it was a Miller hook. It wasn't. I was thinking that was in the second half in the run that I'm talking about. Miami had a – it was a great play by McGusty at halftime to get free through a double team and uh, make a jumper. So that that was their last seven. Likes fade away, Vasilovich three, with Gusty two. But anyway, um, but at 45-45, Florida's second freshman difference maker in the game really was Quez Glover, who came in for Andrew Nibhard and really gave the Gator offense a spark. Yeah, I was really interested to see what he would do in this game just because there hasn't been a lot of, like, um, matchups that have like been very favorable for Quez Glover in the sense that like you know like a five foot seven Chris likes who's really fast like that should be an interesting matchup for for Quez Glover uh, defensively and there hasn't really been uh, that hasn't been the case I mean even in uh, the the kind of games against the mid majors it was like Towson had these real big thick guards and uh, North Florida has bigger guards too so this was a good. Uh, this is what I thought was going to be a good chance for Quez Glover to, just to go out and uh, kind of to see what he could do defensively. Uh, and he did that and more just because when Andrew Nemhart went to uh, went to the bench with foul trouble uh, due to, you know, I, I thought the first offensive foul that was called on him was, was acceptable. Uh, I thought the second was real weak, uh, but whatever. And then Quez Glover came yeah. in and uh, <laughs> showed, showed some of his speed, uh, showed some of the shot making from three and from the mid-range that he showed in high school. And uh, yeah, there's our uh, there our unranked point guard recruit who uh, uh, is suddenly playing major minutes for Florida in uh, <laughs> uh, against an ACC opponent. So uh, just a really good story, and uh, it just showed like like he still was a uh, was still a little bit raw a few times, uh, but I thought he defended just really really well. Uh, he showed kind of the shot making, and he showed that like just by being simply quite fast, uh, by running out hard in transition, letting Andrew Nemar hit him on that one kind of stretch pass layup. Uh, yeah, there was a lot there to like, and I think that that's just really encouraging because if, uh, you know, I don't want to don't want to jinx it or whatever, but if this turns out to be a, a longer term thing for Trey Mann, or uh, even if it's not, I mean, Florida just does not have that many options at the perimeter position right now, and uh, Quez Glover is going to have to play. But hey, if he keeps playing like he did against Miami, that'll be uh, that'll be awesome. Yeah, I mean, he had a couple little turnovers, but some of that is like you're playing Chris Lights, who's really quick, and you know it happens. Um, you know, freshman point guards are going to turn the ball over occasionally. So that kind of stuff didn't concern me that much. Um, I didn't want to get too carried away with like the Glover praise. It's merited. It's merited, but I didn't want it to, I didn't want to forget about Kerry Blackshear, who I thought really did a lot of damage today as a passer. Yeah, I don't definitely. And, uh, once again, Again, like they were using that offense that I thought that we saw against uh, against UConn a lot, where uh, it was a lot of the, the kind of Princeton starts the offense where you get it into the high post and, and run off them for a chance at a, a dribble handoff or anything like that. And I mean, especially the way that he shot the ball from those like 
first two possessions uh, really made uh, teams kind of want to crowd up on him. He used a couple like where he put the ball on the floor a few times before passing. Um, yeah, we've kind of seen him score individually. We've seen him uh, shoot the ball. We've seen him rebound. Uh, this could have been his best passing performance. Yeah, it was uh, it was pretty darn good. And, and uh, one of them was a huge triple that that put the Gators up six, um, the Quest Glover three in the corner. And I think that was such a huge play for multiple reasons. But one, it, it was kind of Florida's signal that, you know, they were going to take the game by the throat. And then also Quez, who's a really good shooter, uh, if you watch him on video, which, which Eric has probably done more than anybody but maybe our staff, uh, <laughs> you know, I think Quez's three-pointers this year had been, had been long. A lot have been online and long, Eric. And I bet seeing the ball go in was, was huge. You could kind of see it on his face, too. Yeah, he's still someone who needs to tighten up his shot selection a bit. I mean, uh, even the one he hit was uh, it was great, uh, uh, but I, I still think he's taking some uh, some tough shots at times. And uh, on a night like this, where he's got the touch, and and I mean, this is another this is the first time he's really gotten to play a ton of extended minutes, and maybe that you know helps his rhythm as well. Uh, I think that's always interesting when you take these like guys that are absolute stars in in high school, and then they've got to come to college and be a you know six minute a game guy as a, as a freshman. Like that can be a tough adjustment, and maybe. Playing 20-plus minutes uh, today was something that helped him get his rhythm. But, uh, yeah, he's someone who showed in, in high school that he can absolutely be a threat shooting the ball. And uh, to see him uh, be a catch-and-shoot guy off flag here, to see him get that layup and transition when Nemhard had the ball, it's just like yeah. that's what you're going to need to do if you're not the uh, you know the primary star is is create offense with, uh, with your feet by either finding space for a three-point shot for a catch-and-shoot uh, opportunity or, or run in transition, let Andrew Nemhard give you the ball like – uh, yeah, just a, just a great game for him and uh, one that's, yeah, super encouraging moving forward. Then Florida seals the game, kind of puts it out of reach with that huge run from 45-45, a 13-0 run to get it to 58-45. Um, and I, you know, I thought after that, kind of Andrew Nimhard and, and Blackshear and Keontae kind of took over offensively. Yeah, I think the way, once again, like Andrew Nimhard once again has like a nine-assist game. Uh, and uh, he didn't a lot of you know, them late too. A lot, a of, lot them of them late. Yeah, definitely. And, and like in that run, like you said, like there was a time where uh, obviously Florida had the the good first half. It was looking good, and then there was that point where it was like, oh man, when they tied the game, and it was that Chris likes three point shot, which was just so cold. And uh, yeah, it was it was <laughs> kind of nerve wracking for sure. And I think um, yeah, to see it, to see the way that uh, that Nemhart is you know playing like a like a veteran player, even though he's only a sophomore. Uh, but yeah, you look at. Um, you know, dumped it inside and Blackshear got kind of fouled uh, or sorry, dumped it. Sorry. There was that um, Omar Payne miss that, uh, uh, that Kerry Blackshear had the big offensive rebound and got fouled. And there was that, uh, uh, the Quez Glover layup. And um, yeah, there's just like, uh, Andrew Nemar kind of distributing the ball in, in a few different ways. And uh, to see Noah Locke hit a shot, obviously that was big. Uh, just a little bit of everything in that, in that little run. But uh, yeah, I know Andrew Nemhart has really taken some, some heat this, uh, this season so far, especially from those few, who would blame the uh, um, the lack of transition exclusively on him, which I do not think is fair whatsoever. Uh, but I think, like, yeah, you see him putting up nine assist games, and uh, uh, even though he only had eight points or whatever, I mean, the threes were timely, and uh, the I, you know I take nine assists over him having a few more points. <laughs> well, you know, and he's a guy that like if he goes eight and nine, right? That's probably means that Florida had a good night on offense, and they did today. Um, it's the same thing with. 
with Omar Payne, another kid who's impressed in Charleston, you know, I guess if you look at, at defense, like Florida's probably defended pretty well if Omar Payne has a bunch of rebounds and a block. Um, and, you know, tonight, because you saw, I thought it was funny like to illustrate where Omar Payne is on offense. I, I don't know, did he get, no, I think it was just, I think he just got the one moving screen. But it was like the most obvious moving screen foul in the history of moving screen fouls. Um, to where, you know, I'm eight rows behind the bench, and uh, you could hear Coach Nichols say, "Oh my man, that one wasn't even close." <laughs> <laughs> and then get up and demonstrate the screen to him during the media timeout. But what was great is like Miami's late offense is high ball screen, pick and roll, high ball screen pick and roll and Omar Payton did a great job tracking rollers and like that's hard to do when you're 18 I mean how many times you heard John Calipari let's use him because he's the one that always has the sun freshman um, oh well it's hard to go to the pick and roll we're so young we're so young um, you know that, that was a very bad Cal impression but uh, <laughs> Omar is a plus defender and he's he's a plus defender despite being 18. I'm going to beat this until we all can say it in unison, but we kind of slept on a top 50 player, I think. Um, I'll be honest. I totally slept on him. Yeah. Like that's when I will, uh, I will hold. Um, I, I like, you know what? I, I'm really not an expert on, you know, recruiting. Uh, I didn't, you know, I didn't watch him as much as obviously Florida staff did, uh, but the games I watched uh, him in high school, I just like, I like to be, to put it quite frankly, I just like didn't see the athleticism, which is like hilarious. And people are, and, well, yeah, and I just think that people are gonna say like, "Wow, you must like really like not know basketball, Eric, if you didn't see that he was an athlete." <laughs> but I, I don't know, like he just like um, I didn't think he was a great rim protector. Uh, I just like saw a few times where, uh, like, I mean, watching him play, I just like did not think he was like a dominant force defensively on the inside. Um, I didn't think he showed much touch in the opportunities he did have. Uh, I mean, granted, again, like at my Bird, it's such a tough like evaluation kind of scenario where yeah he comes off the bench and he comes in two minutes left in the first quarter and it's like 17 to 5 for Montverde like uh and he's and he's you know getting guarded by a six foot five center on the other team like um it was right. a little weird but um point being I just thought he was I thought he was uh, more raw than he actually is and uh yeah I, so I I will be the first to say that I slept on him uh I was certainly wrong uh yeah that one's on me but uh, yeah, he's someone who's been uh, obviously just uh, just better than I would have expected. And uh, when you look at it, like especially with um, with Gak being injured, and he's someone that like you and me kind of thought would be the best big other than uh, Blackshear. Obviously, the, he hasn't been able to play. Uh, so it's you know while uh, while Bassett has provided some good minutes, I mean Omar Payne coming through and being able to play the four, play the back of five, uh, it's been huge for this team. Yeah, it's been really good. Um, you know and. And we could go on through the players, but I think what we, what we, what the takeaway today is that, is that that was the team that everybody saw on paper, um, that Scotty Lewis looked like, and that, 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 that was the team without Trey Mann, mind you, that Scotty Lewis looked like a guy who was a top 10 recruit in the country. You know, Omar Payne played like a top 50 guy. Andrew Nidmark played like a sophomore making a leap. Terry Blackshear played like an All-American. Um, and the result was, you know, yeah, I mean, Florida shot 50% from three-point range. They're probably not going to do that very much. 
but but they guarded so well, you know, Eric, if they shoot 40%, they still win by 12, 13. So it's not like probably actually 13 or 14, right? So it's not a huge – I don't know how much you can you can write it off that way. And, um, you know, so I really think other than the black sheer ejection, and maybe this is the hot take that, that our show – doesn't rarely delivers because Eric and I aren't into them. But really, other than the minutes after the Blackshear ejection, Eric, pretty encouraging second half of UConn game on. Yeah, no, that's that's true. And I think that that's kind of one of my takeaways from, uh, I, again, from this Miami game. Uh, also bringing back to UConn is like, if you know, I brought up the stat that Florida's getting like near 60% of their catch and shoot jump shots unguarded, which is like a crazy yeah. number. Um, and if you continue to do that, you're going to have more 50% shooting three-point nights than you are 25% three-point shooting nights. So Florida started the season with getting open jump shots and missing them, um, other than Florida State. They did not generate open looks against Florida State. But the other games, uh, they, they, they were generating shots and they were not hitting them. Um, and like I said, I really thought that the offense looked a lot, like quite similar against Miami. Uh, it looked really similar to what it did against UConn. Uh, and obviously the, the end, you know, the outcome was much different. But uh, they were hitting the shots that they should have. Uh, the UConn, they didn't. Uh, but I mean, yeah, if you just keep getting, keep generating these looks like you're going to, you're you're going to be a good shooting team. So uh, yeah, while they're not going to shoot 50% every game, uh, I really do think that it's going to be closer to 50 than than, than these 25% shooting games they've had in, in some of the bad losses. And I'll I'll drop this on everybody just because it's fun to be at these tournaments. You get to talk to some people, and you know there were some NBA scouts there today. Uh, one from the Hawks, one from the Spurs, one from uh, the world champion Toronto Raptors. That was for Eric. Thank um, you. And uh, one from the Clippers. And I, I spoke to the guy from the Clippers in between games. He's a really nice guy. And he said, Florida reminds me of Michigan. Reminds him of Michigan last year, except their point guard is better and their big is better. I uh, remember that Michigan team went to the Sweet 16. And it was really interesting to me. And he said, Oh, I went to see Michigan a bunch last year because they there was a player that I guess they almost drafted from there is basically what he was saying. But uh, um, you know, it was an interesting comment to me. Just it's always interesting to talk to NBA guys. Period. But uh, his kind of take on it, and I wanted to run this by Eric, which is why I bring this story up. It really wasn't a name drop that I was talking to the NBA scouts. I, I don't care as much about that. I care about. You know, what he was saying about Andrew Nibhard, which is that uh, Andrew does a lot of the things that Michigan's point guard was doing last year, which is that Andrew's showing an ability to get inside under control, um, an ability to get deep and force help, which is not something that he did last year. So a lot of people that are getting annoyed about the number of possessions where Andrew does that, a lot of that is schematically by design. And I think... And I'm interested in your thoughts, Eric. I think it's one of the reasons that Florida's had a lot of unguarded shots in the last couple games. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the things where Andrew Nemhard is going to have, like, a smaller player on him, like, more often than not. So it makes him a threat to to post up individually if he gets inside or he's showing that he is uh, getting all the way to the rim. Like, he's been an okay finisher. He's left some points there for sure. But, uh, I mean, you get there, they're going to start falling. Uh, whereas, like... Like last year, uh, Nemhart found a way to like get like six assists per game without really getting in the paint very much, which is right. pretty tough to do when you think about it. So the fact that he's getting into the paint, like I see this game with Miami where he has nine assists, like 
probably if he plays the same game last year, he has like six assists. Like, so I, I do think that his ability to, to pressure defenses by, by getting inside more is, is absolutely helping things. And, and I, I, this is something I've wrote about too. I, I think the inside out three where you can get it right into the paints and then kick it out to a shooter is a really high value shot. I mean, I think it's the highest kind of value catch and shoot three point shot. And that's got is certainly, uh, yeah, not only are Florida getting those on, uh, getting those open looks, do you have a night like Miami where they, uh, they hit most of them. Right. And the Gators don't really have shoot off movement guys outside of, outside of Trey Mann and Quest Glover anyway. So for Florida, it's kind of a necessity that, that, that happens. And, and, uh, and they're getting some of that now. Um, Sunday night will be a different type of challenge. They will either play UConn or Xavier at Quigley, longtime listener of the show. So do not talk about UConn. We know about them. Uh, you kind of do. I mean, do we need to mention that they got one of the best freshmen in America joining the fray this weekend, or do we want to sleep on uh, book night? Yeah, he's had a little bit of a unfortunate start to his uh his career, but uh, yeah, if he, if he plays, that's another kind of different element. I mean, like, I really didn't think like, you know, Florida missed so many shots and we're still in the game against UConn. So uh, playing them again would be, uh, would be interesting. Maybe a chance for some retribution. Uh, I, I would say I'm expecting Xavier to win that game against UConn. What, what are you expecting, Neil? Well, I do expect Xavier to win. What I will tell you having watched UConn last night was the first half was, eh, the second half, Jalen Gaffney and Booknight, they're young guys. Jalen Gaffney and Guy Ford are recruited pretty heavily. Um, we're difference makers. And, you know, Booknight, but 8.6 rebounds in his collegiate debut uh, or his season debut. I mean, that's that's difference making stuff. And, and Aldery Gilbert does not value the basketball in the way that he should. Uh, Christian Vitale is a good shooter, but. Um, again, I don't think, you know, a guy that's really a complete player. So, you know, in a lot of ways, Gaffney and McKnight are kind of the guys that can change that program to me. Um, maybe I'm higher on Jalen Gaffney than some people. Uh, but, but UConn played their best half of the season last night. So is that who they are? I don't know. We're going to find out tonight. What I'll tell you is if Florida plays Xavier, Eric, it's a whole different uh, set of, of challenges for the Gators, a team that that is comfortable four out, one in, uh, but also isn't afraid to, to pound you with their front court. Yeah, when I see Xavier, I'm definitely more afraid of them just like straight up pounding the ball inside. Uh, and also they've got, uh, and that's not even just like, you know, the traditional like center like let him go post up but they've got like Najee Marshall as uh right like a six foot six or six foot seven wing uh and even like Paul Scruggs a guard who's like a bigger guard or Quinton Gooden like uh they're they're not like super super physically imposing guards um but like they they have good size and they're just like comfortable playing that style of game so I, I see Xavier as just like a big athletic team that uh that really lives at the rim and can really get into the paint and uh yeah I could just see this being uh, if Florida plays Xavier, it's going to be a game where uh, they're going to give up dribble penetration to Xavier. And it's not just because they have these like great quickness or like shifty guys, uh, but they've got these perimeter players that are kind of strong and long. And they know how to, uh, they know how to just like protect the ball and get a straight line drive and, and look for when help to comes and help to come and can distribute the ball. And uh, they haven't shot the ball very well at all to start the season, which is uh, definitely nice. Uh, but yeah, there's kind of a reason that they're, uh, they're ranked and, uh, 
there's a reason that, yeah, I, I, I think that they're going to win. But uh, it'll be interesting to see uh, against UConn, who's got a little more speed, if they can make it uh, uh, an open court game. But, uh, but yeah, Xavier, long kind of perimeter team that, uh, uh, yeah, that uh, I would be a little bit more scared. Yeah, I mean, Towson is a physical basketball team, and Xavier was not bowing to their physicality. Like, it, it wasn't the prettiest basketball game, but Xavier imposed their will in that game in the second half in particular. Um, and, and they do. They are the kind of team that has given Mike White teams trouble because they can wing you to death with dribble penetration. The difference with them is they also have – you know, a guy that, that can really pound you. And he can drive, too. He's just 6'9", and, and I think his body mass muscle index is probably like 98% muscle <laughs> in, in, in Tyreek Jones, who's just kind of a freak. Yeah, I mean, and con- considering the way that uh, fouls have been called in this, in this event, uh, I, I'd worry about <laughs> uh, keeping Blatch here on the floor. Uh, he is, yeah, but he is the guy, that, the, the kind of senior front court player that uh, – yeah, just like doesn't need too much to his post arsenal, but uh, I mean, when you're strong and you can, uh, and you've got some good size and length, I mean, like a hook shot is all you need, and I think the Tyreek Jones does that. Yeah, no, um, and then and then everybody knows uh, Quentin Gooden, who I think is is their best player. Uh, wasn't terrific last night against Towson, but uh, makes them go. They they value the ball pretty well, um, and then because they have so much versatility. They're also, you know, they've improved defensively. Yeah, I mean, they uh, playing with Zay, playing Xavier, and they kind of uh, when they passed off uh, coaching to Travis Steele, who was an assistant under Chris Mack when Chris Mack left, and uh, Chris Mack was always a big pack line guy, uh, protect the hoop, uh, don't let don't let players get into the paint. And I mean, uh, you kind of see that a little bit now that they've got like this longer burst style team. They can kind of uh, they can kind of sit back. They can take away the paint entirely, and because they're long as well, they uh, like some of these pack line teams are going to give up open three point shots because of the way they protect the paint. But uh, just because they have so much length and uh, and some pretty good athleticism, uh, they can also close the shooters. So I, I also, you know, they're they're well, they would also well, I you know what I wouldn't be surprised if they end up as a better as a better defensive team than than Florida State in the metrics. Also, just playing in a Big East where like. To have the chance to pad those numbers a bit, uh, but I would say like you could certainly argue this is one of the, like you could certainly argue this is the best uh, defensive team Florida's faced so far. I mean, I think Florida and they play very differently than Florida State, but uh, uh, so I, I, I and Florida State's a lot more aggressive. So I think that it might right. Uh, they probably bothered. Uh, yeah, here's the thing. Yeah, I'm actually going to say I think Xavier's going to finish with a better defense on the season. I do. I don't think they're going to bother Florida like Florida State did, but still um, a very good defensive team. Yeah, I mean they have length. they have a lot of length. We talked about how they they have versatility with wings. Now, what I will say is that um, they aren't as deep as FSU. Uh, who is? Um, but I mean, their depth is different depth. Their depth is offense depth. Uh, they've got they've got a couple skilled guys that they can bring in off the bench that can score in different ways. They can stress stress defenses in different ways. Um, that aren't as good guarding the ball, uh, that, that aren't as, you know, that aren't going to be guys that you can, I mean, you kind of have to pack line to some extent with them because you don't want them to extend necessarily. Um, so it's, it's one of these games where I, I you know, I, I, Eric alluded to it on the post UConn show, Florida has to do a good job 
uh, on and Al Pekins had the scout because I saw him there watching Xavier last night. So Al Pekins, uh, let's hope him and the staff put together a good plan to free Noah lock up for, for good looks. Florida's got to make some three-point jump shots and, and get Xavier out and guarding. And then I think Florida can really, you know, get Kerry Blackshear going to work a little bit. Then, you know, skill on skill, I kind of like Kerry Blackshear against Tyreek Jones. Kerry's taller. Um, he doesn't give up any weight. He's going to give up some strength and girth. But, um, you know, he, he, you know, Kerry's never going to be more athletic, but he's certainly going to be more skilled. Make them guard. Let Kerry pass out of that stuff. I think, you know, Florida will have a chance to to be more successful against Xavier offensively than they were against FSU, certainly, although that's not a very high bar. Yeah, well, it'll be interesting, too, to see. Uh, like, uh, Xavier's going to hedge a lot of ball screens, like your all your good classic pack line defensive teams, uh, which should give the opportunity for some pick and pops for Kerry Blackshear. So it'll yep. be interesting to see if they uh, they look to get him some more three-point shots. Um, or if they look to get him on the inside, I mean, I, I would I would suspect against Xavier, um, they're going to double lots. Uh, they're going to, you know, they're going to be packing the paint. It's going to be a little tougher for him to live on the inside. So, uh, yeah, look for those, look for those, uh, those three point shots early again. I think would be a great idea, just like they did uh, against Miami. Yep. No, I think all that's uh, spot on. And for the people that get frustrated with uh, the heavy Andrew Nimhar dribble possessions, um, get ready for some of that. <laughs> the way that they're going to head ball screens, it's, it's just going to make more sense sometimes for Andrew to to just dribble around some of that stuff. Um, and it's going to frustrate you, but but it's one way that, that Florida, because they have a great ball handler, um, it's one way Florida can attack. And they're, Xavier wants to make you look out of sorts, and they're going to be successful to some extent in, in doing that. I mean, that's I don't th- I think that's fairly inevitable this in this basketball game um you know the big thing for the gators is can you limit the dribble drive penetration to fit the three-point line yeah and i think that if you uh, you do that and you rebound uh yeah they can win this tournament and get on track i mean if you win against uconn uh or xavier i mean yeah uh I, like i said I, I think it'll be xavier but uh could definitely be uconn <laughs> uh, no matter what but i mean if you win uh, you win that next game, and then suddenly, you know, you play Marshall. That's a game you should win. And then uh, then you've got Butler on the road, who I think is, uh, you know, even on the road, I think, uh, you know, that's certainly a winnable game, and that would be a huge uh, – That's good. Kind of a huge resume game. You win yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then uh, – well, you've got two other ones after that that will probably be quadrant one. Well, that should be quadrant ones in, in, in Providence and Utah State. So, I mean, like, you go on a little bit of a run here, and, and your season, your non-conference slate that, like, started pretty rocky is – you know, ending up pretty good. So uh, for all the people that were pretty doom and gloom, I mean, there's a chance this still works out really well. So uh, yeah, but it all starts with uh, winning, beating whoever, uh, uh, whoever wins the team, UConn and Xavier uh, on Sunday. So that's going to be our show. People had asked for a uh, prediction because I keep predicting that the Gators will lose games. I had predicted Miami would beat Florida today. Uh, 68-66 had been my Twitter prediction. I want to go Florida 77 Xavier 72. Uh, I do think Florida will win. I think they're going to get get the big victory. There are a lot of Xavier people, but not as many Xavier people as UConn people. Uh, so it'll be, I think it'll be about 50-50 for the final Sunday night if Florida plays Xavier, whereas if Florida plays UConn, you're talking about about a 60-40 building. The other thing to factor in with these weird neutral site tournaments is the UConn people will stay for the final because they're basketball nuts. And because they beat Florida... 
they'll be cheering for Florida. Uh, <laughs> they're smart. So, you know, a little bit of that. Uh, but bottom line for me is I, I Mike White teams historically, and this is really all you can base this stuff off of because you don't, you know, we're not in the locker room. We're not at practice. Historically, when Florida gets big wins under Mike White, they play really well for a couple games. Um, and then, you know, something happens where, like, they have some sort of weird performance where they're in a funk. And, you know, then they talk about how they've got to get it back again. But I expect Florida to come out Sunday confident, play very well. And, and they'll be the best team Xavier's played from a talent standpoint. I think the Gators will win. Eric? Yeah, well, I think that especially for this team, uh, having a win like this against Miami will kind of matter even more than some of these big wins in the past just because, yeah, this seemed like desperately needed a game like that. So uh, for that reason, I think that Florida is, uh, is going to win. Uh, I think if they play uh, they play UConn, I think they win uh, by, you know, six or seven. I think against Xavier, I think they, uh, they just barely pull it out. I think it'll go like 72 to 70. I like it. I like it. And by the way, if the Gators win, they'd be the first Southeastern Conference team to win the Charleston Classic. So um, it, the SEC has never uh, won the tournament, but the uh, Big East has won it multiple times. So Xavier would, would just join other other company. UConn could become the first American Conference team to win. And then uh, tell the Americans, see you later. That's <laughs> <laughs> neither here nor there. Um Thanks for listening. We'll be back after uh, the Xavier or UConn game. Bye, everybody.